Murphy, host of Out There, here on Valley Free Radio. Tune in for stories from the streets and paths of Northampton and beyond, Fridays from 4 to 5 p.m. Get out if you can, but if you can't get out, tune in. We don't care if we live out of state. We don't care if we live a bit late. Gonna make a sick baby me and you on my rocking bicycle. And yes, it is. It is Friday. Let me turn up the volume. It is Friday, August 4th, 2023. I'm live in the studio. Um, I think I got to talk louder. That, those volume lights aren't coming up very loud. I'm live in the studio. Sounds like I'm yelling. Uh, yeah, I was out of town the last month. I was in Kentucky. Uh, so you may have heard some recorded shows. That's a secret. But today's show, I got fresh material. Very fresh. In fact, some of it is from today because I hadn't prepared anything earlier than that. <laughs> um, and today, yep, I got some an interview with, from last Friday though, also, people that were painting the mural, a new mural on the Florence Paint and Decorating Building in downtown Florence. Like a history of Florence mural. And I may have some rants and raves about housing and the high cost of housing in Northampton, how difficult it is right now for many, many people. But I guess I'll start with, yeah, you know, this riffraff talking about my day. Word to the wise. Oh, wait, so no, I was sorry. at Valley Recycling unloading. Not that one. This one. It's Friday, August 4th, 2023. Friday, out there is every Friday from 4 until 5. What am I going to do today? I should have figured this out long ago, but... Same old story. Energy was just blanking. So I guess it's just story, story time. I'll have to start here on the shoulder of Route 10 on the way to Valley Recycling with a load of trash on my bicycle. I've been coming off this road when I came out here. Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Four or five days I've been out here. Earlier in the week, I think it was Monday, I came across a crow. Well, okay, what really happened was I was on my way to drop my load at Valley, going southwest on Route 10. Shoulder was clear, I dropped my load. Did some things to cancer cancer. Got a bicycle, got like three scrap metal bicycles salvaged from scrap metal on top of my trailer, which is a little sketch because it made it a little top heavy. Well, I rearranged my totes a little, so it was only there were only one stack high and then three bikes. Anyway, so I'm going down back in towards Northampton near Valley on the shoulder of Route 10. And on the other side of the road, I saw a big crow like in the rumble strip. It had just been hit. I know it had just been hit because it wasn't there when I went to Valley a little earlier with my load. Um, and I could see like it was moving its mouth. It was lying on its side on the rumble strip, sun beating down on the asphalt, cars whizzing by like a foot away. But it was still like eyes open, moving its mouth like it was gasping for breath. And so I was like, well, I kind of wanted to move it out of the rumble strip because it just seemed undignified to lie there and die being baked on the asphalt with cars whizzing by a foot away but it's hard even for an alert human being to 
get across Route 10 sometimes with the cars going 50 miles an hour. Anyway, I decided I, was, I would try and cross the road, so I did a U-E with my bike in the trailer and pulled over by the guardrail on the southbound lane and grabbed a garbage bag, empty garbage bag I had, and scooped up the crow and set it in the bushes next to the fire hydrant. And then I got back on my bike to do another U-turn to head back in towards town. And there was a little break in traffic. A little break in traffic, 155 miles an hour. And me a little top heavy. And I pulled across about 10. And as I turned to go back northeast, um, you can guess, my top heavy load of bicycles. And I had like tools, like a 24 inch, um, I think it was a 24 inch. 18 to 20, maybe it was 18 inch, um, a couple of 18 inch old, maybe 100 year old, Dwayne said, um, monkey wrenches, really heavy. Uh, what I have, I had a food processor that Dwayne had salvaged with little plastic parts that came rolling out. I had like bike parts, brakes, nuts, bolts, everything. My trailer tipped, the bikes went flying, all that stuff dumped out, cars whizzing by, it was all in the shoulder. And my bungee cords were threaded through the bikes and the wheels and the spokes had extra wheels too. Anyway, uh, what was the point of that story? I guess the point of that story was just my exasperation about how difficult it is to cross Route 10 and the problems it caused and how one thing leads to another, leads to the roadkill, leads to the trailer tipping and leads to the... Well, anyway. I was just now, well, that was Monday. Today's Friday. I was just now coming by where I'd set the crow next to the fire hydrant and it's partially decayed. Uh, the other reason I wanted to move it out of the road was because other animals might come to eat it, vultures or some, I don't know. Um, and so it puts other animals at risk when they also come out into the road to get the food. And anyway, so yeah, so I put it next to this fire hydrant, which is interesting because this fire hydrant has been has a white hose attached to it and it's been on pumping water out the hose since monday i think um i don't know why i, I want to ask someone in the dpw or somewhere why they're like are they like draining something is it a pressure kind of release what i don't know just curious the things you see around town Okay, and for my next move, I'm picking up on Hospital Hill and I will read a sign from the old state hospital. I'm actually standing here reading it and someone just drove by in a car and slowed down and said, don't believe any of it. Which I'm not sure what she meant by that because there's a lot of different information presented here and it pretty much all corresponds with everything I've heard first or second hand from people who have worked here or had family members here. During the first half of the 20th century, physical treatments, which had been part of the Northampton State Hospital Regimen, became more aggressive and included lobotomy, which was actually rarely used at this hospital, but also included shock therapy and hydrotherapy. Many patients were tranquilized and or locked up because the hospital lacked proper medicine and knowledge about what to do with a multitude of patients with a wide variety of conditions. After 1950, pharmaceutical treatments were increasingly introduced, among them Thorazine, the first antidepressant, Milltown Equinil, uh, the first widely used tranquilizer, and Aminpramine, the first antidepressant. When they say first, I think they mean like 
pharmaceutically produced. Because <laughs> I'm sure people have been using herbal things for all these things. The process of developing community care began in the 1930s when the hospital created outpatient clinics for 200 patients living outside the hospital, including many in Springfield. By the early 1960s, Northampton State Hospital had fallen into disrepair, and with severe staff shortages, it had reverted to custodial care and heavy use of medications to calm patients. At the same time, ideas about mental illness and confinement were beginning to change. Federal legislation and funding promoted community-based programs rather than institutionalization. So if someone's telling me, don't believe anything you read, then if I read this with a non-believing ear, my non-believing ear and eye would say, well, people have, there's been community care models that have existed forever. <laughs> and community-based programs, cultures, uh, communities, well, you know, mental health has been treated differently and uh, by different peoples since the dawn of time. But if you're trying to make a sign for a historical marker, I guess you gotta you know, try to get the general concept out. In 1976, the Northampton-based Center for Public Representation filed a class action lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Massachusetts on behalf of several state hospital patients claiming violations of their rights to be treated in the quote, least restrictive, end quote, environment. In 1978, both parties entered into a consent degree, decree agreement to gradually discharge the patients into community programs. The deinstitutionalization process stretched over the next 15 years as staff worked to find places for all the patients when there weren't enough community services available. Ultimately, all patients were transferred or discharged. Some patients returned to Northampton State Hospital for a short-term stay, some ended up homeless, others were incarcerated, and some integrated well into society. The hospital closed in 1993 when the last 12 patients were transferred. Here's a quote from a Northampton State Hospital psychiatrist, Sanford Bloomberg. Most of the patients we saw between the locked doors sat blank-faced or shuffled about the room in what I imagined to be a Thorazine stupor. The walls were equally grim-faced and dull, and there seemed to be no object or activity with which patients could interact, even if there had been a twinkle of engagement left in them. George Button, another state hospital employee, says, This is probably the hardest time in my 34 years of working here, because I find every day, just dealing with a proposed closing and seeing what staff are going through, what patients are going through, I find every day very, very tiring. And there's also pictures of canvas slings in bathtubs saying how some patients got the hydrotherapy treatment that was supposed to be calming and they would be set down in a bathtub of flowing warm water for up to three hours. And some of the more disturbed patients would be wrapped tightly in a wet blanket. Now, I thought that one of the famous abolitionists who came to Northampton, to Florence in the mid-1800s, um, I forget who it was, but he was part of the Northampton Association of Education and Industry. He was a he was promoting the the hydrotherapy and the water cure. I thought was that David Childs, like Lydia Childs' husband. Oh, I shouldn't spread rumors. All right, listeners, I looked it up. I got the David part right, but it was David Ruggles, um, the famous abolitionist, and that the David Ruggles Center is named after. Uh, online, it says that he was a self-made hydrotherapist. 
You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. I'm your host, Ruthie Woodring, and mentioning David Ruggles reminds me that tomorrow, August 6th, 6th? No, 5th, Saturday, the 5th, uh, there's going to be a history bike tour. I don't know if all the slots are full, but I bet you could tag along, even if they are. Um, the Friends of Northampton Trails and the David Ruggles Center are collaborating to lead the third Florence Utopian Bike Tour, August 5th at 9 a.m. This year, the bike tour will begin at the new Florence History Mural on the Florence Paint and Decorating Center. The tour will reference Florence's rich history related to the Northampton Association of Education and Industry, the Underground Railroad, and radical abolitionists. As has been the case in the previous two years, the ride has space for 25 participants to register. And once again, the registration fee will be donated to the Ruggles Center. The expectation is that about $500 total will be raised. Tom Goldscheider has planned the bike tour based upon the Ruggles Center walking tours. The African American Heritage Trail, the Women's History Tour, and the Sojourner Truth Memorial Tour. The Florence Utopian Bike Tour will include about 10 stops, and Tom will talk about the significance of the people, places, and events related to each location. There'll be time to ask questions and a chance to share light refreshments at the conclusion of the ride. The tour will cover roughly four miles, and participants should be comfortable riding on the road in a guided group. Registration information is available on the Friends of Northampton Trails website. That's www.fntrails.org and at bikerag.com slash Utopian Bike Tour 2023. Uh, there continues to be interest in what we teach about American history, especially as it informs how we move forward with regard to systemic inequality and social change. It's also important for us to know about the extraordinary group of women, men, African Americans, and others who were committed to eliminating systemic inequality in the early to mid-1840s in our own community. All right, again, at the Friends of Northampton Trails website, you can find out... More. That's tomorrow, Saturday, August 5th, 9 a.m., meeting at the new mural. And talking about the new mural, next on Out There, I've got interviews with the mural painters. So it's Friday, July 28th, 2023. I've been out of town for the last three weeks. And actually, I read something in the paper, or yeah. maybe the Friends of Northampton yeah. Trails newsletter or something, about this mural going up. But I've been out of town, and then I'm just riding through. I'm on my way to go play Ultima Frisbee. And here is this mural on the wall. In, in under construction, there's one, two, three, four, five of you all working on it right now. Um, some community people this morning. Yeah. The community painted this, and yeah. the team painted it. And what's your name? Shelly Shikoff. And how are you involved in this project, Shelly? Um, I, I put a call out last summer for designers and for wonderful, excellent, skilled, brilliant, Suzanne, Deborah, Althea, and Nancy showed up, uh -huh. and they did all the research for the history of Florence. Yeah, can you describe the mural a little bit? Oh, that's Deb's part, because okay. she's got the cheat sheet. Okay, so, okay, so, or right, I'll, I'll talk to other people. So, Deb, how did you get involved in this project? So, um, I heard Shelley's call for artists. And I am a, uh, an, an artist that usually paints landscapes. 
And so I thought it'd be fun to go big again. You know, since college, I haven't really been making huge paintings. My biggest paintings have been 24 by 36. So the idea of putting a story on the wall was pretty exciting, you know, for me. So, and I recently um, started working on portraits. And uh, so the portraits that you see, the five here, Sojourner Truth, and then the four there are the ones that I did. And I also did some buildings too. So I did the Florence Church and the Florence Diner and um, also looked up some the, of the trains that went through the area, you know, during the late 1800s. Uh-huh. And is this like, this is on Depot Street. Was this? So this, uh, that's sort of coincidental. Uh-huh. You know, so the wall was offered to us um, and the paint was, was given to us, so donated by Florence Paint. Which is the building that the mural is on exactly. here in downtown Florence. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the core story is about the activism that occurred in the area um, before uh, the end of slavery. So we have abolitionists and we have orators and we have people who were committed to the cause of ending slavery. Okay. So that's the figures that you see here, but then you also see the rest of the mural. Um, shows going way back in time to indigenous folks that were here long before anybody else and um, then coming up to modern times so that we are making recognition of being on the bike path you know here and then the Florence Diner as it as it appears today um, in the church so there's some of these buildings are recognizable because they still exist and then others may not be so recognizable like this one Cosby and Hall which was built, I believe, in the late 1800s okay, um, for the cause of having this um, utopian society. These, these men wanted to you know, have a different kind of society here. Um, okay, and not just men, but Sojourner Truth was part of this too. And then uh, Lydia Maria Child, also an activist, this woman that is um, tending to beats. Mm-hmm. You could ask Suzanne about um, Lydia, Maria okay. Child. Okay. And what about the women that with the pumpkin and fish, did they represent? So the indigenous in, folks that were here, you know, thousands of years ago. Okay. Any particular uh, people like come um, I'm indigenous? not really sure, you know, if they, yeah. if they are. Yeah, okay. um, that's somebody else did the research okay. for this, so you can okay. ask the person, you cool. know, about that. But, but you did all of those, the people, the people. Yeah. Can you, can you just mention the names of the people that are here? Yeah. So the first one is Samuel Hill. Okay. Um, so he, um, you know, lived in Florence in 1861, and he was part of this free congregational society. Okay, so he was like a kind of founder builder. And then we have Charles Burley, who um, not only was a uh, somebody who was interested in freedom for slaves, but he also was an educator, and I believe worked for a newspaper too. So this this man's newspaper right here. So that's. Um, uh, William Lloyd Garrison. Okay, then we have uh, Critchlow. So the woman that can really talk to you about Critchlow is not here. She okay. can tell you, you know, more about him. And uh, the last one is Samuel Whitmarsh. Okay, so he you know, purchased this silk mill, okay, which they turned into the Northampton Association of Education and Industry, where people lived and worked okay, for the cause of having this utopian society, you know, abolishing slavery. And, and uh, part of what they they did in the areas with uh, Lydia Maria Child did. She raised beets, but these people uh, were um, taking silkworms to produce silk, silk. so that um, silk um, was an industry for a short time.
you know, alternative to the cotton, which was produced exactly. by enslaved people. That's exactly And the same right. with like, the sugar beets, an alternative to exactly. the yes. sugar cane that was yes, produced by you. enslaved people. That is true. Um, okay, and so I mentioned um, that that's William Lloyd Garrison, okay, the guy with the glasses, and then Sojourner Truth beside him, okay, who lived, you know, on, I think, Park, Park Ave or Park Street. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, this was one of the portraits that she sat for, and in my research I learned that she sat for portraits. She wanted to have her picture taken um, in order to, and she sold, was able to buy her house through the sale of these postcards that she created. Okay, and then Frederick Douglass, okay, who, uh, and these people are underneath the white pine, which would have been right behind the Florence Cong Congregational Church, and that's where they would make their speeches. And so he was, he came through the area, so, I tried to capture his portrait around the age that he would have been um, while this is going on, so 1852, from a very famous um, Dick Harrow-type portrait from, that is housed in the Chicago Institute. Okay, and the last person that's there is Wendell Phillips, okay, so also an abolitionist. Okay, um, so those are the peoples. Cool. So when, when did you all start painting? So we started, the design team came on June 30th for a couple of days and we took chalk to the wall, we gridded the wall and then used this blue paint that you see here that still exists for some of the design to draw it. So we had a scale drawing that we worked from and then we draw, drew from that scale drawing. We had to make some adjustments as we went along and a lot of the drawings kind of changed from the original ones. Okay, and then we called the uh, community to come in and they began by painting the river and painting the big big blocks of color. You see the two different shades of yellow or gold okay, uh -huh. doing that. And then other big blocks of color that we could point out. We'd hand, hand them a jar of paint and a paintbrush and show them how to go about trying to cover. It's very hard to cover a cinder block, but um, yeah. that's, what we were, that's what we were given. But paint is beautiful, so a wonderful donation you know, of paint from the paint store. What's your last name, Deb? Saycon. Uh, my name is Althea Keaton. And Althea, how did you get involved in this project? Uh, well, I had worked on a different mural that Shelley did in 2019. 2019, I think. 2019. 2019 on the uh, Northampton bike trail. I just kind of ran into Shelley at uh, Gallery A3, and we started talking, and she mentioned she was doing a mural with uh, the community and that they needed volunteers to come in and put some paint on the walls. <laughs> What's Gallery A3? Oh, uh, it's a gallery in um, Amherst that uh, Shelley was part of. Um, so yeah, I just kept showing up <laughs> and Shelley and I hit it off. So uh, when she was looking for folks to work with, she knew I was somebody who would show up and uh, do decent work. Who are you painting now? Uh, these are more, they're not specific people, they're more like uh, oh, that's a, um, representatives. Yeah, representatives uh, for like just modern, uh, sort of the present day side uh, of the mural. Uh, Has fewer specific people. A, a family from Florence. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And we've got over here uh, the Bombics and uh, some representative musicians for Bombics. Or it could be the Thursday night concerts in downtown Florence too. Could be as well, yeah.
I'm Suzanne Dudley. I met Shelley through the Quabbin Art Association, and she put out a call for artists for a planning committee, and I had never done something this large, and I thought, well, it'd be fun to be involved in that and learn the tricks of the trade and whatever. And so it ended up being a lovely, like, group that we worked with, and the research was fun, and then we brought in our sketches and and did our rearranging and our plan. Oh, sorry. And um, we've even tweaked it as we've gone. You know, it's changed from what we originally planned, but, you know, some of that comes from stepping back and looking at it. And we've, I especially have loved that we've had the community involved. I've had my reservations about that at first. I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out when my sketches were on the wall and someone else was going to paint them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um... It's actually turned out really nicely. Um, they've, you know, got their colors and filled in the bottom, and now we're putting the, the our little artistic touches on top. And um, what can I say? I've really enjoyed it. Yes, yeah, interesting. Just hearing you tell Althea how to to tweak things a little bit. Well, we each kind of research different areas. So, like when okay. when it's someone else's sketch, we kind of talk to that person and see was. Okay. Were there certain colors that were involved or, or were, you know, some of it gets changed a little bit when the public works on it and all of a sudden you can't oh, tell yeah. what something is and yeah. you have to go back and look at your original sketch and kind yeah. of refigure it out. Yeah. But, um, and, I, and I love that, I mean, this is such a rich area of history. I just love that there were so many, you know, strong women too, you know, it's not just a man's story um, that involved so many different... Um, you know, it's not just all old white men. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I I really have appreciated this opportunity. Yeah. And I suggested ZMAs too because we, we were working on modern, you know, the modern things, iconic things, and whatever. But uh-huh. um, I've taken some classes with ZMAs, and they are really a one-of-a-kind print studio. They're very green-oriented because a lot of times printing is very caustic. Uh-huh. Um, chemicals and things, and they've created a lot of their own um, materials. So I said, let's put CMAs on here because people come from all around the world to learn these uh-huh. green printing oh, and cool. stuff. So yeah, I, as a as a pedal person, I've done their pickup for many oh, yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, like they've gotten their whole garbage down to like one yeah. little thing. For yeah, this they're giant. a great customer. <laughs> I know. And and rags, they don't use any paper towels. They use you know the the rags that get you know cleaned and brought over fresh and you're listening to out there on valley free radio that was interviews with people painting the new florence history mural in downtown florence on the florence paint and decorating wall on depot street at the corner of depot and the rail trail and north maple I think it's time for a song on Out There. This is Galantis with No Money. Sorry, I ain't got no money. I'm not trying to be funny, but I left it all at home today. You can call me what you want to.
Thanks for listening to Out There on Valley Fee Radio. I'm Ruthie Woodring. For the rest of today's show, well, next on today's show, I have lots of rants and raves type of thing. And the thing that's on my mind especially is housing and the cost of housing and how much it has increased in Northampton in the last two years. Um, I guess first I'll talk about the Northampton as a land of plenty, plenty of food, plenty of housing, plenty of trash. I'm a trash hauler. When I say there's plenty of housing, what I mean is there's plenty of enclosed space in buildings that have no people in them that could have people in them. And when I talk about food, well, this free food all over town, actually, especially right now, there's uh, lots of apples starting to fall. There's a really nice apple tree on the rail trail in downtown Florence on the corner of Kai's and the rail trail right by Florence Bank. I've gotten so many apples off that tree in past years. I've canned like many quarts of applesauce. Uh, it's really nice if you have a picker, you know, like a one of those metal claw hands on a pole or a long stick. Um, Oh, where else? Uh, gosh, I've seen apples riding all over town. Also, I passed a pear tree today that's starting to drop pears. That was on the corner of um, Prince Street and Laurel Street up on Hospital Hill. Also, there's Asian pears that help yourself as planted. And my housemate said he had some of those on the switchback between Fitzwillies and the rail trail downtown. Also, they planted I know there's at least one in the courthouse, in the old courthouse, the law li- law library um, uh, row along King Street downtown Northampton, too. Um, if you want Asian pears, if you want Asian pears, if you want to know my tips on some fruit gleaning around town, you should contact me. Ooh, black cherries, wild black cherries are falling now, too. I didn't like those growing up. I thought they just tasted bitter. They're kind of a acquired taste. But once I realized, hey, this is local free food that's like super nutritious when it's so fresh, you know, once I realized that, I learned to like it real fast. And what else? Well, okay. I wanted to say a thing about trash because when I was doing my route today, honestly, I got really a little a little frustrated and the thought that ran through my head is I'm not really allowed to say this on air but okay as a trash hauler and as a long-term dumpster diver I've noticed that that it's often sometimes like the less money someone has the more trash they make and a lot of reasons some reasons I see for that is because well first of all you can't afford to buy durable quality goods so you just buy the cheapest thing that breaks um and then uh also if you have less money you're more likely to have housing insecurity and be more transient have to move every time the rent gets raised that kind of thing and every time someone moves there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown out Uh, and then also i think there's social pressure to buy things that look new and nice and 
even though they're really poor quality, they're shiny and glittery and you're trying to fit in and be accepted and get respected, get respect. So there's all that too. And there's more reasons that I've probably observed too that I'm not thinking of right now. But anyway, because um, I know sometimes people will be like, oh, you get really nice stuff in the rich neighborhoods in terms of dumpster diving or trash or whatever. And it's not necessarily true because like if you have money and can afford to buy things that last and have stability in your life, it's uh, often e easier to not make trash and you can you, know, you can buy in bulk you can do all these things that if, if you have more upfront money um it, it it helps so speaking of housing and 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 transients and that kind of thing so i've been looking on craigslist uh for how much apartments and rooms go for in Northampton, it seems hard to find a one to find a shared bedroom, one bedroom in a shared house for less than eight hundred dollars a month. That's just like a bedroom with a shared kitchen, bathroom and all that. And for a one bedroom apartment to yourself. Um, well, I have a friend who lives in Northampton who has a house that he shares. He's got it's like three units, I think. He lives in one and some family members part-time. And then he rents out the other two. And one of the others that he rents out, it's a one-bedroom. He told me it was too small for two people to share. And he told me that he posted it on Craigslist for eleven fifty no, 1100 And he got a bunch of replies. And then he thought, well, what if I post it for 1250 So he jacked up the rent. That's his words that he jacked up the rent, $150 and posted it at that price and got lots of replies too. So he ended up renting it out for 12.50 just because he could. And um, I, I should probably just sigh now. <laughs> but um, so the house where I live, it's a duplex, six and eight high street. And we're doing, we're having some transition first of September where we're, the house has been owned by four of us since 2005 but two of the co-owners from six high street they bought another house they moved out and they're selling their half to the rest of us and we're making a formal housing cooperative called the flow up <laughs> and so the th our three friends it's very complicated it's very complicated but you know, 8 High Street, I live there with five other people that are part of a family. So there's six of us on that side and then three people on the other side. And the three people on the other side, not the owners, the, the co-owners, they moved out, but they're, th they're renting it to three people. So when the September 1st transition happens, most of my housemates are going to 6 High Street and the three people that are renting at 6 High Street, they're looking for new housing. And uh, all of them have asked about living at 8 High Street. But I, I'm trying to, I want 8 High Street. My idea is to make it into kind of like a Luddite Catholic worker. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I'm looking for uh, the perfect housemates, one or two. 
perfect would be people who want to live, who who like to move towards living more off grid. Um, like you know, like we don't we don't have TV. Well, no one has TV now anyway, do they? They just watch like computers. I don't know. Um, but like we don't have air conditioning or a dryer. Um, we don't have a upright fridge. We have this little funky chest fridge. If it was me, I'd like to move towards having no fridge at all. We actually had no fridge for three years when our fridge broke, but we did have a chest freezer. And then, and we had it, we had a chest freezer and the chest fridge that had broken, but when it broke, instead of replacing it, we just used ice blocks from the chest freezer. And every morning and every evening, we would switch the bucket of ice. We did that for like three years before we finally bought a new fridge. It was really great because it helped you see how much electricity, energy, whatever it uses to cool things. Because for example, if you, if we put a hot um, jar of like a half gallon jar of hot soup from dinner, leftover from dinner in the fridge at night and change the ice block in the morning, you could be sure the ice block would be totally melted. But if we waited until that soup cooled and then put it in like in the morning, the ice block would still be, it would still have ice in it. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so when I say a Luddite Catholic worker, I mean someone who values personal connection and human power over mechanization and automation. Someone who might like to saw firewood with a two-person saw and um, uh, use that for, for wood heat. We have a wood stove. Or who, someone who would prefer to hang their clothes instead of put them in a dryer. Um, what else? Well, the Catholic worker part is also like someone who would welcome a stranger. So basically, I think we're looking for people who share our values. Oh, car free. We hope that they're car free. Someone who would share our values and, um, and also like have, um, in, in need, need, need affordable housing. Um, cause because uh, it's so hard. Like, it's so hard. It's so hard for people to, to find a place affordable. And when I think about my, so the, my house, my, not my housemates, but the people on the other side of Six High Street, they're currently paying, the three of them in that three-bedroom are currently paying $600 a piece. But any, probably any place they find, any similar place they find will be at least $800 a month. And so that's like $200 a month that, they're not going to be able to use to you know go eat downtown or go out to a to see music or like put back in their local economy so when landlords up the rent just because they can um it's really i feel like going to really hurt <laughs> our <laughs> the local economy um and just knowing from how the finances are for our house and that we're, we were able to charge 500 to $600 per room and meet all our expenses, including you know, taxes and insurance and a maintenance fund and all that. It's like, wait, why are other landlords charging 800 1,000, 1,200, $1,300 for a one-bedroom apartment 
and all this. I just don't really get it. Um, yeah. In fact, one of my one of my coworkers just lost their housing first of August, and so it's kind of it's pretty personal for me right now. Um, what else? Uh, so we're converting Six and Eight High Street to a cooperative. So housing cooperative. In terms of what that all means, uh, Alex can explain it better than me. <laughs> um, and it's a house that the Eight High Street. Like I, I've worked really hard with other people to pay it off, but now that we're buying Six High Street, it's kind of like we're going into debt again. So essentially, like over the next ten years, I'm essentially giving my equity to the cooperative and that's scary for me in a way but then also it's like wait a minute I, I never wanted to be a private landowner and this whole concept of private property feels pretty wrong like it's just so we can exclude people say this is mine and exclude people that doesn't really feel right like I, I do appreciate private property as a way to steward things for example my family in Kentucky owns whatever owns means 200 acres of mostly mountainside for us what that means is we can tell the gas company no you're not going to drill here we can tell the timber company no you're not going to cut here even though the neighbor did have the timber company cut like 10 acres of our land because it wasn't properly surveyed and we can tell the coal company no <laughs> we're not not here but generally private property in general you know it doesn't really make too much sense and i always hear that that quote in the back of my head the land doesn't belong to us. We belong to the land. Um, and so this, so yeah, so I feel like the land should be in common and having our house and yard, you know, in common, somewhat in common, just feels like the right thing to do. Um, and you know, in terms of like future financial stability or things like that, you know what, I try and put my, I try and invest in relationships more than money. And um, I don't know. I know I get old, I get sick and all those things, but you know, well, whatever, it happens. That's what I say when I'm young, whatever. When I get old, I'm like, gosh, I need, I need, I need money for medical bills and all that, but I will. Uh, We'll see how we'll see what I say on out there twenty years from now if I'm still doing out there. <laughs> All right, what's next on my little rant here? Um, okay, so the whole housing crunch in Northampton. A friend of mine asked me yesterday what I thought about infill and all that, and I said, "Well, there are so many empty houses, relatively empty." Like, for example, I was sitting with a friend on her back porch um, in the North Street neighborhood a few weeks ago, just looking at her house and all her neighbor houses. And many of these were two-family or relatively large houses. And we looked at about one, two, three, four, five, six, about seven or eight houses surrounding hers and including hers. And there was one, two one or two people in most of them. I think maybe one, two family had four people in it. So we have all this 
space that we're just not utilizing well. And I, I, I ask myself often, like, why aren't we living together more? Like, why are we cutting down trees in the city, like precious trees in the city to build more housing because there's a need for affordable housing when we have all these empty units and then there's all the airbnbs that people are keeping empty for you know half the week and then there's also the whole thing with with people like when there's shared custody of kids where a parent has to have empty bedrooms for the kids for the parts of the week when they're there and then also the other parent across town has to have you know same thing so you've got all these rooms houses that are empty a lot as I understand it, the population of Northampton hasn't really increased that much since the 1950s. It's just the square footage per person has increased. Um, it's like we keep on building and not figuring out how to get along. Um, also, I've thought about like the square footage per person. If you look at the square footage per person in buildings, houses, and apartments in Northampton. And if you were to break that down by race, I'm pretty sure you would find that white people have a lot more square footage per person than people of color in Northampton. Um, which makes me think about, uh, like, okay, like reparations. Northampton, I read that the reparations committee has been formed. So reparations are on people's minds, something we're working towards. And I think about reparations in terms of money. And then I think about reparations in terms of space. Like could for reparations, could we make it more fair, equitable, that people are, were allowed to take up the same amount of space? Um, th or that, that black people or African-Americans got big space like a lot more space because they've been like physically excluded from so many spaces controlled and lived in by white people um it's like literally like square footage face space as well as you know, i don't know psychic space and airwave space and all that say i as i take up the airwaves with my white voice anyway um where were we um so, yeah, so I'm just thinking, also thinking about, like, what, why is it hard for us to live close together and get along, and, and I don't know, I, I wonder if the decrease in family size has anything to do with it, like, I, I'm the youngest of eight, and so being in a big family like that, and also being the youngest, my survival was dependent on my ability to get along with people older, stronger, bigger, and smarter than me, <laughs> But if you're an only child or only have one or two siblings, you're probably just used to having more space and you're used to having a bedroom of your own where you go to decompress or, or, or chill or whatever. But there's a whole world out there. There's a whole world of trees and parks and con conservation places and uh, benches and I don't know, like places the world you know it's a huge world planet earth it's hard to get around though sometimes if you can't really get around and the mosquitoes are biting real hard right now when you try to hang out outside well you're listening to out there on valley free radio i think i'm about ready to throw my paper of notes to the side 
and declare that my rant for the day. And let's find a song. How about, um, I always like hearing Aloe Black. Share. 
You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. I'm your host, Ruthie Woodring. Uh, stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up at 5 o'clock. Uh, one more thing I wanted to say on my rant about housing and, and fill stuff is that Northampton and Florence are covered in parking lots. If we're going to build something, build it on a parking lot. I don't see any reason to cut down trees to build something. Uh, I'm not a, you know, um, what do you call it? The people that determine whether or not the structure, I'm not like structural engineer. And, you know, things, it's more expensive to build on a parking lot and all that, I think, probably, I don't know. But people don't want to give up their parking lots. But can't you just like, have parking on the first level and buildings above or something well anyway um oh yeah there will be bike lab on saturday that saturday tomorrow yes you want to learn to fix your bike how to keep it tuned up so it's there for you when you need it or maybe you know already, but you just need to borrow a bike-specific tool that you don't have. Well, come to the Bike Lab. Almost every Saturday since 2004. From 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Here in Northampton at 12 Northern Avenue. Come with your bike or your questions. And your willing attitude. <laughs> Spare part scavenger hunt every weekend. Vengan al Bike Lab de Northampton, el taller de bicicleta. Aprende a arreglar tu bicicleta y a divertirte. All repairs guaranteed to the end of the driveway. Details are online at pedalpeople.coop. That's the Saturday Bike Lab at 12 Northern Avenue. They say freedom isn't free, but at the Bike Lab it is. Oh, no, stop, stop, stop. Oh, something else that I wanted to mention on past editions of Out There. I've talked about the whole project to get these so much of bicycles that I was collecting at the bike lab on a boat to Haiti. Um, well, last word from the captain of the boat. The boat's still in Norfolk. And the captain says they're in Norfolk installing the replacement engine in transition and transmission, hoping for a departure in four weeks. It'll still be hurricane season, but we will sail south coastal USA to allow us to duck into port if we need to escape any storm. We'll have satellite weather tracking. We'll be monitoring every day, of course. Once underway, we will provide tracking for the first half of our voyage to Haiti. But when we get closer to the Caribbean, we will be shutting down tracking for security reasons. We need to arrive at Ilavash with only one person on shore, knowing our ETA. The same person will send water taxis to transfer our cargo to shore. We will work out communications, photos, and videos as we get closer. All right, enjoy your, your Friday. Ultimate Frisbee and Haydenville, Fridays at 6. Hi, this is Elvis Costello, and you're listening to Valley Free Radio, WXOJ LP. <laughs>